Frankfurt, Germany, winter 1901. A frail woman shuffled down the cold streets. The frigid breeze stung her cheeks. The 51-year-old felt lost as she wandered through the crowded cobblestone walkways. She'd forgotten where she was and what she was doing. Her name was Augusta, but she had trouble remembering that, too. Her husband, Carl, touched her hand and ushered her toward a large building in front of them. Augusta asked where they were going, but Carl didn't reply. He knew she wouldn't understand if he explained. Carl hated to say goodbye to his wife, but he knew it was for the best. She wasn't well, and Carl couldn't care for her anymore. It had become too much. The forgetfulness, the accusations, and the nights full of screaming. Carl couldn't afford the best hospitals. Instead, he took Augusta to the Institution for the Mentally Ill and Epileptics. As the pair entered the lobby, Augusta became agitated. She demanded to know where they were. Carl tried to calm her, even though he knew it was no use. Luckily, the staff knew what to expect. Before Augusta could make a scene, Dr. Alois Alzheimer's aides met her and escorted her through reception. As she hobbled into the facility, Augusta turned to one of the nurses and said, I have lost myself. Carl wondered if she'd ever be found. When our bodies fail, we trust doctors to diagnose the problem. But medicine isn't always an exact science. Sometimes it's a guessing game with life or death stakes. This is Medical Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Every Tuesday, we'll look at the strangest real-life medical cases in history and the experts who raced against the clock to solve them. As we follow these high-intensity stories, we'll explore medical research that might solve the puzzle. Next week, in Part 2, we'll analyze all the evidence and try to find an answer. You can find episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. This is the first of two episodes on Alzheimer's disease, a degenerative neurological condition responsible for about 120,000 Americans' deaths in 2017. Its symptoms include memory loss, agitation, and changes in personality. This week, we'll explore the history of the disease and meet the man who discovered it. Next week, we'll examine doctors' efforts to cure or treat the condition. We'll also explore the state of Alzheimer's disease today and speculate on what the future holds. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. In 1901, Dr. Alois Alzheimer was the director of the psychiatric wing for the Institution for the Mentally Ill and Epileptic Patients in Frankfurt, Germany. He worked as a neuropathologist, meaning he studied diseases of the nervous system. Alois was one of the earliest advocates for a change in how mental health conditions were treated. In the late 1800s, most patients in Western psychiatric facilities faced appalling conditions. Unlike today, most doctors didn't try to diagnose mental health conditions. They treated all their patients the same way and they didn't take the time to identify and distinguish between the different conditions involving the brain, such as bipolar disorder and dementia. All patients lived together in the same wards. Few got better because they didn't receive specialized treatment. They spent hours in restraints, even if they weren't violent. Overworked staff beat their patients. Psychiatrists experimented on them without consent. Asylums were brutal, but many doctors didn't see any point in improving their conditions. They couldn't even agree on whether neurologic or mental health conditions could be treated. There were two prevailing schools of thought regarding the origins of mental disorders. Sigmund Freud thought mental illnesses were purely psychological, meaning they were all in the patient's head. He treated his clients with psychotherapy, a form of therapy where patients discuss their problems to understand the underlying emotional issues. But Alois had a keen interest in anatomy. He believed there must be a biological cause for psychiatric ailments. If he could find what caused the condition, he might be able to treat it with medicine or surgery. In 1857, German surgeon Friedrich von Esmark and his partner Peter Villers Jessen found a biological cause for a neurologic condition called general paresis. Paresis caused wild mood swings, forgetfulness, and difficulty speaking. Some doctors called it general paralysis of the insane. Esmark and Villers looked at their patients' clinical histories they discovered that many were diagnosed with syphilis years before their paresis symptoms appeared. Syphilis is a sexually transmitted bacterial infection. It initially causes a non-painful sore or ulcers on a patient's genitals. Later symptoms can include fatigue, weight loss, and muscle pain, among other ailments. After a few weeks, these symptoms usually clear up on their own. Some patients assumed the syphilis had cured itself, but the bacteria still lingered in their bodies. As patients got older, some might have suffered from memory loss, confusion, and aggression. For years, doctors had assumed that people with paresis were faking it or weak-willed. But Esmark and Yesen demonstrated otherwise. 
Parisa's patients suffered from a real disease with a physical cause, a bacteria. And if physicians could find a cure for syphilis, they thought they could also prevent paresis. Inspired by such recent discoveries, Alois Alzheimer wanted to find biological causes for other cognitive or mental health conditions. But he needed a place to do his work in peace and safety. He wouldn't get very far in his research if his colleagues were torturing or beating their patients. Ordinary asylums were likely to make their residents even sicker and complicate Alois's research. The facility in Frankfurt where Alois worked was different. When Alois was hired, it was run by a man named Emil Scioli, who pushed the boundaries of psychiatric patient care. Scioli believed in a progressive form of therapy based on the teachings of psychiatrist John Connolly. Like Alois, Connolly believed that mental health conditions were an illness. And just as a doctor would treat a bodily disease with medicine, Connolly believed psychiatrists could remedy apparent emotional disorders with compassion and care. Furthermore, he believed that different symptoms should receive different treatments. With the right support, people could overcome their conditions. Per Connolly's recommendations, the Frankfurt facility had gardens and communal spaces. AIDS hosted activities to keep residents engaged and entertained. While restraints and sedatives were used on patients, they were a last resort, only for people who posed a danger to themselves or others. Scioli and his staff talked with patients while walking through the facility or gave them relaxing massages to calm them down. They believed a positive environment was more beneficial than a hostile one. While the conditions weren't perfect, Augusta Dieter couldn't have ended up in a better hospital at the time. She was checked into the Frankfurt facility after months of declining mental health. At first, she forgot small things, like where she left cooking ingredients or a book. But her condition got worse with each passing month. She had trouble sleeping and grew paranoid. Once she accused her husband Carl of cheating on her, but her claims were unfounded. The accusation left Carl shaken. They'd always loved and trusted one another, Augusta would never let suspicion get the better of her. It felt like his wife was slipping away in front of him. At times, she forgot where she was or who he was. It got so bad that Carl feared to leave her home alone. He couldn't take care of Augusta on his own, so he brought her to see Alois. When Alois first met Augusta, he thought her condition resembled dementia. Dementia was a general term for any disease that caused memory loss or a decrease in cognitive ability. It was most common among elderly people, but doctors didn't know much about it. In fact, most physicians believed dementia might be an unavoidable part of aging, like stiff joints or wrinkled faces. Few believed dementia could be treated or prevented, so they didn't bother studying it in depth. Today, we know that's not the case. Many people live well into their 80s, 90s, or even 100s without developing dementia. But it's more common among the elderly because they're more likely to develop other cognitive disorders that can contribute to the ailment. Dementia is a progressive condition, meaning it gets worse over time. According to author Marcus McGill and Dr. Timothy J. Legg, dementia is sometimes categorized into four stages. 
The first is mild cognitive impairment. At this stage, people forget small things, like where they put their keys or that they made dinner plans with a friend. The symptoms are very difficult to recognize because everyone, including people who don't have dementia, have occasional periods of forgetfulness. Next comes mild dementia. At this point, patients forget more important things. They might get lost because they can't remember how to get home from a familiar location. Or they become confused mid-task because they lose track of what they were doing. After this, a person experiences moderate dementia. In addition to memory problems, people at this stage have difficulty sleeping. They often become suspicious or irritable, and their personality changes. Finally, with severe dementia, a patient needs full-time care. They can no longer perform basic tasks like using the bathroom or dressing themselves. Often it can take a patient several years to reach this phase, and most people with severe dementia are elderly. But Augusta seemed too young to have dementia. Most people who experience recognizable symptoms are over the age of 65. But Augusta was in the late stages of the disease, and she was only 51. That meant something had caused Augusta's early-onset dementia. It wasn't a natural part of aging, after all. Alois resolved to figure out what was wrong with Augusta. In the process, he discovered one of history's most terrifying, debilitating diseases. Coming up, Alois Alzheimer's time with Augusta Dieter. Hi, it's Richard. Ready to hear about my new favorite Spotify original from Parcast? It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, she'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, JFK, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now back to the story. In the fall of 1901, 51-year-old Augusta Dieter was checked into a mental hospital in Frankfurt, Germany. Her attending physician, Alois Alzheimer, resolved to get to the bottom of her strange ailment. During their first meeting, Alois noticed how frail Augusta looked, 
even though she was only 14 years older than he was. She had a helpless expression on her face. It was childlike, curious but uncertain. Alois introduced himself and asked her what her name was. She responded, Augusta. He then asked for her last name. She repeated herself, Augusta. Alois asked several more questions in rapid succession. He didn't want to give Augusta too much time to think. He wanted to gauge her initial responses. Augusta stumbled through several of her answers. She said things that didn't make sense. For example, when Alois once asked when she was married, Augusta said, I don't know at present. The woman lives on the same floor. He asked about her husband, Carl. Augusta said his name was also Augusta. When Alois asked her to clarify, Augusta hesitated. She knew she was married, but she couldn't remember her spouse's name. This must have given Alois pause. His wife had died less than a year before. He couldn't imagine forgetting someone who'd been such a major presence in his life. And he understood what Carl was going through. They were both grieving a lost spouse. Alois cleared his throat and continued his questioning. He asked Augusta how long she'd been in the facility, and she said three weeks. At that time, she'd only been there a day. Alois thanked Augusta for her time and said he'd come back later to check on her. He returned to Augusta's room later that day when she ate lunch. She had pork and cauliflower on her plate. While she chewed, Alois asked what she was eating. Augusta answered that it was spinach, even though she could see the food right in front of her. Augusta wasn't able to verbally identify what she was eating, even as she looked directly at the food on her plate. Alois had never before seen such a severe case of dementia in someone so young. He'd looked after hundreds of patients, and Augusta was unique among them. While mostly older, the majority of his patients with similar symptoms had trouble remembering specific things, like where they'd left their possessions. But even at their worst, few, if any, were unable to say who they were, where they were, or what they were eating. Alois didn't know what caused their dementia. He'd studied over a dozen patients in pursuit of an answer. In their autopsies, he discovered that many of these patients had a hardening and thickening of the arterial walls of cerebral vessels. Think of the arteries and veins as the tubes in a plumbing system. They carry oxygenated and less oxygenated blood to and from all your muscles, organs, and tissues. And just like the real plumbing in your house, your veins and arteries can get clogged, usually as a result of a substance called plaque. Plaque is essentially made of fat and calcium. Every person has some plaque in their arteries or veins. It's nearly unavoidable. While a small amount of plaque is mostly harmless, it can build up over time. This is more likely if you smoke, have a high-fat diet, or use certain medications. Sometimes, enough plaque builds up that it blocks arteries and veins. This can cause a heart attack or a stroke. But plaque can be dangerous in other ways, too. It may not completely fill the arteries, but it can make it harder for the blood to squeeze through a partially obstructed area. Think of when your sink is moderately clogged. The water drains out eventually, but it takes a long time. 
Alois believed that arterial plaque kept blood flow from the brain. The blockage wasn't enough to kill his patients, but it caused memory problems. Today, this is called vascular dementia, and it's the second most common cause of dementia. So, Alois prescribed Augusta daily lukewarm baths that contained a number of beneficial minerals. The treatment, balneotherapy, was based around the assumption that heat helped blood vessels expand. In the short term, this and other treatments seemed to work. Augusta calmed down and even had conversations with her aides. But over time, her condition deteriorated again. This may be because relaxing treatments like warm baths can reduce stress and calm an irritated person. They don't actually cure dementia, but the symptoms might be less noticeable when a patient unwinds. But the regimen didn't address the core issues that plagued Augusta, so she inevitably got worse. It was time to go back to the drawing board. For the next couple of months, Alois met Augusta every day for checkups. He took detailed notes on everything from her diet to her physical complexion. He asked Augusta to read passages from books. She still remembered how to read, but would get confused between the beginning of a sentence and its end. She couldn't follow plots and often read the same passages over and over again. She had no idea she'd just reviewed them seconds before. Occasionally, Alois gave Augusta a sheet of paper and asked her to write her name. She'd scrawl, Mrs., and then pause. She had to ask what she was writing. Alois reminded her, please write your name. After Mrs., she added, Augusta. Then she stopped and asked Alois to repeat the instructions again. Alois saved pages of Augusta's writing exercises. He tracked everything he could think of her diet, her exercise regimen, her sleep habits. Something had caused her cognitive problems, but he still didn't know what. Some infections have been associated with causing dementia-like symptoms. Immune responses can raise a patient's body temperature to kill foreign and harmful germs. But very high fevers can also lead to the death of brain cells. These types of dementia-like symptoms are curable if a doctor can bring the fever down in time but Augusta didn't have any symptoms of an infection. In addition, some medications can result in side effects similar to the symptoms of dementia, and dehydration or nutrient deficiencies can impact a person's memory. So, Alois changed Augusta's meal plan. He'd change out one food item to see if her condition improved. When that didn't work, he'd adjust another ingredient he hoped he could rule out different foods one by one, but none of his changes helped her get better. And Alois didn't have much time for trial and error. Augusta seemed to get worse by the day. Her doctors were astonished at her rapid decline. Most dementia patients slowly deteriorated. Sometimes their symptoms didn't change for years. But Augusta had only been in Alois's care for a few months and she was significantly worse than the day she'd checked in. She got even more nervous as the world around her became less familiar. She didn't recognize the doctors, nurses, or other patients. Even Alois, who visited her every day, seemed like a stranger. In her rare moments of lucidity, Augusta was frustrated. She knew that something was wrong with her, 
and she seemed to be aware that it was only a matter of time before she slipped into forgetfulness again. She likely feared the day that she'd lose herself for good. Alois realized that he'd probably never cure Augusta. At best, he could study her symptoms while she was alive, then perform an autopsy after her death. But perhaps the data he gathered would save future patients. He was committed to do whatever it took to solve the mystery. But then, an old friend and mentor, Franz Nissel, contacted him in late 1902. Nissel worked at Heidelberg Hospital under world-famous psychiatrist Emil Kreppelin. Nissel encouraged Alois to accept Kreppelin's offer to join them. It was an amazing opportunity to work with one of the greatest psychiatric minds of his time, but it also meant that Alois would have to leave Augusta behind. Before he made a final decision, he talked with Emil Scioli, the head of the hospital in Frankfurt. Alois asked Scioli to keep him up to date on Augusta's condition. Scioli agreed. With this assurance, Alois made his way to Heidelberg. Then, he and his team relocated to Munich. For the next few years, Alois worked with his patients and conducted research, but he couldn't forget about Augusta. According to Scioli, she was deteriorating. Her caretakers still documented her symptoms, but they weren't any closer to solving the mystery than Alois had been. Then, in April 1906, Alois received a letter saying that Augusta had died. The final months of her life had been hard. She completely forgot who and where she was. She had trouble speaking and needed help to eat. If the staff hadn't been there, it's quite possible she would have starved. She ended up dying from an infection caused by bed sores. Alois immediately wrote back and asked if he could have access to Augusta's files. He also requested Augusta's brain so he could perform an autopsy. While he was too late to save Augusta, he'd do everything in his power to give meaning to her death. Coming up, Alois's findings and the questions he left unanswered. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now, back to the story. On April 8, 1906, Augusta Dieter died. Her final years were marked by confusion, forgetfulness, and irritability. Dr. Alois Alzheimer wanted to perform an autopsy on her brain, 
So he asked Emil Scioli to send it to his lab in Munich. A short time later, Alois received Augusta's preserved brain. Before he even began the autopsy, Alois noticed that the brain was much smaller than it should have been. As someone ages, their brain volume shrinks by as much as 5% per decade past the age of 40. As near as researchers can tell, this is a natural part of aging. Neuronal cells die every day. It's a normal process and not inherently dangerous. Neuronal cells aren't fully understood, and there has been some debate about the brain's ability to make new neurons as it ages in a process known as neurogenesis. Scientists aren't sure why this shrinkage begins at age 40. There's a lot about it that they don't understand. On its own, brain shrinkage doesn't seem to cause cognitive problems. At worst, an older person might be more forgetful. But diseases like HIV-AIDS or head injuries can accelerate contraction and cause cognitive problems like dementia. Even though Augusta was in her mid-50s, her brain looked like it belonged to someone who was 70 or 80 years old. But Alois already knew she didn't have any known diseases or injuries. Something else had made it shrink. Alois noted that the small size was the result of atrophy. Most people know about muscular atrophy. Muscles need to be used regularly, otherwise they get weak. That's why athletes and bodybuilders need to go to the gym so often. If you work out once, you'll get a little stronger in the short term, but you'll lose that strength if you don't keep working to maintain it. Even if you don't lift weights, you use your muscles every time you move. Your leg muscles help you walk. Your arm muscles let you pick things up. The muscles of your torso help you sit up and stand upright. But imagine you break your arm and keep it in a cast for weeks. During that time, you don't use your arm's muscles for day-to-day -day tasks. When you finally take your cast off, your arm is incredibly thin and the muscles are weak. This is due to atrophy. But brains don't atrophy from disuse. And unlike an arm in a cast, the brain never stops working. Even when you don't think that you're using your brain, like when you're asleep, it still controls involuntary movements like breathing and heartbeats. Brain atrophy is usually the result of physical damage or a disease. Alois knew that syphilis could cause atrophy, but Augusta had never been diagnosed with a sexually transmitted disease, and her husband, Carl, was healthy, meaning Augusta hadn't spread it to him. Huntington's disease and Parkinson's disease are also associated with brain atrophy. These are both degenerative cognitive disorders, but they also had noticeable physical symptoms, tremors, loss of movement, or involuntary movements. Augusta didn't fit the profile. She had something else. Perhaps the answer lay on the cellular level. Alois cut thin slices of tissue out of Augusta's cerebral cortex, the part of the brain that controls speech, memory, and perception. Alois wanted to get a better look at Augusta's nerve cells or neurons. To get a more defined image, he used a new technique that had been invented by his mentor, Franz Nissel. He dyed the brain tissue using an organic compound. It created contrast to highlight the structure of the nerve cells and their components. 
Think of brain tissue like a black and white photo. Most parts of the photo aren't actually black or white. They're varying shades of gray. The blacker the dark parts get and the whiter the light parts get, the easier it is to make out details. Likewise, the organic compound, Cressel Violet, is commonly used today, made neurons stand out from the surrounding tissue, and Alois needed the contrast to see Augusta's complicated neural circuitry. For context, there are about 86 billion nerve cells in the human brain. It's one of the most complex systems in biology. Neurons are made up of three main components. First, a nucleus in the cell body that contains DNA and is responsible for synthesizing RNA, which is eventually used in protein synthesis. Second, they have long tendrils, known as axons, that branch out into the third part, the dendrites. Think of an axon like a large river and dendrites as the smaller streams that split off at the end. Between one dendrite and the next, there is a gap called a synapse. According to the Alzheimer's Association, the average human brain contains about 100 trillion synapses. The neurons send chemical information to each other through these gaps. Trillions of synapses fire off hundreds of messages every second. This process creates a pathway for information to travel through the body. Neurons send signals to our legs to tell us to walk or to our lungs to make us breathe. These signals give our thoughts action. But Alois saw that Augusta's neurons didn't look like healthy brain cells, an unidentified material built up near her synapses. Alois initially compared the material to plaques he'd already found in dementia patients' blood vessels, but those weren't known to be outside the blood vessels. On the occasion that plaque reaches the brain's blood vessels, it blocks oxygen transportation and kills neurons. This can lead to a stroke, it can cause severe brain damage or death. But Augusta's symptoms weren't consistent with those of a stroke, meaning the alleged plaques hadn't blocked blood flow. Maybe they weren't plaques at all. In addition, Alois noticed that the possible plaques were evenly distributed near the synapses. Alois hypothesized that these plaques originated in Augusta's brain. They weren't carried from one part of her body, some kind of chemical or biological reaction had created them. He just had to figure out what it was. As he continued searching, Alois noticed thick fibers of an odd material snaking their way throughout the neuronal cell body. They seemed to tangle together. Alois marked the resemblance of these fibers to the neurofilaments and neurotubules that make up the cell's cytoskeleton. As the name suggests, the cytoskeleton serves as the structural support for the cell, just like how your skeleton supports your body. And filaments are the bones that hold everything together. With the technology available in 1906, it was usually difficult, if not impossible, to see such minuscule components. But Augustas were easily visible under the microscope. They were huge, and they were the wrong shape. In simple terms, the neurofilaments and neurotubules, sometimes referred to as neurofibrils, aren't just the bones of the cell. They're also a highway that the cells use to move nutrients to where they're needed. In a healthy person, fibrils form straight, direct lines. 
But Augusta's neurofibrils were curved and tangled. There was no direct route from one side of the cell to the other. And if the cell couldn't get the nutrients it needed, it died. If enough cells died, the harmful effects of brain atrophy would become visible. In other words, the enlarged and misshapen fibrils had strangled Augusta's neuron cells. That had contributed to her dementia. Alois knew that this was a huge breakthrough. He discovered a link between Augusta's biology and her cognitive condition. He demonstrated that dementia had a physical cause. But there was more to study. He didn't know why her fibrils were so big. He also didn't know how the fibrils related to the plaque-like material or where it had come from. He needed to share his discovery with the best minds in medicine so they could build on his research. On November 3, 1906, Alois presented his findings at the 37th Conference of Southwest German Psychiatrists in Tübingen. He talked about Augusta's case and called her condition pre-senile dementia. He discussed her neurofibrillary tangles and the apparent buildup of plaques near the synapses in Augusta's neurons. Alois was sure that everyone would applaud him for this breakthrough. But no one in the room seemed to care. His presentation barely made a ripple, let alone a splash. But Alois didn't give up. He continued his research. Over the next several years, Alois monitored four other patients who had similar conditions to Augusta. His second important dementia patient was a 54-year-old man named Johann F. When Johann arrived in Alois's care, he was disoriented and scared. He had trouble remembering simple things like his last name or where he was. Alois monitored him for three years from 1907 until his death in 1910. Alois found something interesting during Johann's autopsy. While Johann's symptoms were very similar to Augusta's, his neuronal cells were different. He had a buildup of plaques outside the cell, but no neurofibrillary tangles within the cell. That led to a new theory. The condition could be caused by plaques or neurofibril deposits. Some patients had both, but some only had one or the other. That was very unusual. Many diseases have a single root cause. Alois's mentor, Emil Krepelin, was astonished when he heard about Alois's findings with Johann F. But he reviewed the research and didn't see any errors. It seemed the condition had two separate causes. Within a year, Krepelin had included Alois's findings in an updated version of a psychiatric textbook. He named the disease after Alois Alzheimer. Alois spent the rest of his life studying Alzheimer's disease, but he never discovered what caused it. He died on December 19, 1915, the mystery still unsolved. But his research taught modern medical professionals how to recognize the condition. Unfortunately, it's still difficult to diagnose. Physicians can't remove a slice of a living patient's brain to look for neurofibrillary tangles or plaques. Instead, they have to diagnose by exclusion, meaning doctors have to rule out everything else until Alzheimer's disease is the only remaining possibility. The process can take months, and in that time, the patient can decline rapidly into dementia. 
As we've discussed, dementia is an umbrella term for any conditions that causes forgetfulness or a decrease in cognitive ability. Alzheimer's disease is a kind of dementia. When Alois met Augusta Dieter, he thought he'd never seen her ailment before. But that was an inaccurate assumption. Alzheimer's disease is the leading cause of dementia. He probably had several other Alzheimer's patients, but Augusta was the first one to catch his attention. That wasn't his only mistake. While Alois deserves credit for his discoveries, some of his findings are controversial today. In particular, Johann F.'s case is greatly debated. Most people with Alzheimer's are like Augusta. They have neurofibril tangles and plaques. Some researchers have suggested that Johann F. and other plaque-only Alzheimer's patients represent one stage in the development process of the disease, while others have argued that it's a separate ailment entirely. Luckily, modern scientists can build on Alois's studies and try to find answers. In 1998, researchers at the University of Munich's Institute of Neuropathology found 80-year-old slides with preserved brain tissue on them. The scientists quickly realized they were looking at Johann F's samples. Today, doctors and researchers still investigate Alzheimer's secrets using Johann F's tissues. Perhaps Alois's evidence will solve the condition's long-standing mysteries and maybe reveal a cure. Over 50 million people are believed to have Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia today. 120,000 Americans die of its complications each year. Due to a lack of accurate reporting in other parts of the world, it's impossible to say how many total people the condition has killed. We still don't know everything behind the development of plaques or tangles, but scientists are working to find answers. Next week, we'll explore their efforts to discover a cure. Until they do, millions of lives hang in the balance. Thanks for listening to Medical Mysteries. We'll be back next week to explore research into the treatments or cures for Alzheimer's disease. You can find all episodes of Medical Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Medical Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Mysteries in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Medical Mysteries was written by Robert Tyler Walker, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Richard. And I'm back to remind you to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. There's torrid love affairs, shocking blackmail schemes, and even murder. I think you're really going to get a kick out of it. 
To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.